you will flip over with me now over to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, chapter 4. We see in, this, in the passage we just read, he said, Because I died for you, the least you can do is to live for me. The least you can do is to live for me. And then we came over to Philippians chapter 4, where we were looking at some verses that were very important. In verse 8, it said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are honest, or excuse me, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And so what we've been doing is in the Character Under Construction series, we've been working on constructing your thoughts, right? Getting your thoughts to a place where you are in an area that is conducive to spiritual, physical, emotional growth, right? To be the best you you can be. We spent some time talking about what was true. We also spent some time thinking on uh, what was honest and what was just. And today we're going to get to that next portion. And we're going to be talking about dwelling on what's pure. You want to get in that mind state, right, where you can be the best you can be. You want to live a victorious Christian life. We said your thoughts lead to an, who knows, an action which leads to a, a habit which leads to your your nature inevitably, right? And so if you don't have your thoughts right, it's going to affect your actions and your actions eventually become the dynamic behind who you are. And the further along, check this out, the further along you go, the harder it is to reverse, right? If you can get it to where your thought, where your thoughts are at, we're going to spend some time talking about that and where you're in being pure. If you can get it to where it's at your thoughts, you don't have to worry about reversing it when it's an action because now you're going to have to fight doing that action and changing your mind. But when it's a habit, you're now going to have to break something that you've gotten into the norm of doing and then breaking, the, breaking that action and then also working on the mind. But if it's your nature, you're in trouble. If it's in your nature, that's who, that's, your nature can be described as who you are. Your nature is, is the hardest thing to change because it's the embodiment of the, of the way that you, that you live your life. And so usually if something is your nature, that's usually going to affect the way you talk to people, the way that you respond to your trials and tribulations. That's going to affect the way that you, that you handle your house, home, or construct your finances. It's going to affect all of those different things. And so if something is in your nature and you're having to now reverse it, that's going to be a long and very hard journey for you. But aren't you glad that it's not impossible? That it's not impossible. So what we're doing is because if you're anything like me, there are things in your nature that need work. There are things in your nature that need work. And what are we going to do? So we're starting right now. And don't worry, we'll get to the actions later. You know what I'm saying? Later on in the series. But, to, but for now, we're trying to get our minds in the proper place so that we cannot, we can start to, to, beat, to destroy that, those things in our lives that are working against us from the inside out. You see what I'm saying? And so we talked about what was what was true and what was honest and what was just. But we're going to talk about what was pure, what's pure, and how to work on having a pure mindset and what that even means. And we'll, and I hope it will be something that's a blessing to you. So let's pray real quick, and then we will move on with our service. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your son. Lord, I just pray that you would use the words that you've given me and help it to be something that helps um, these people, Lord. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. Whatsoever things are pure, 
Let's break it down. What does it mean to be pure? The word pure literally translates to properly clean, and figuratively it means innocent, modest, and perfect. So the question is, how can we ever be truly pure? Is there anybody in here that's a sinner? Is there anybody in here that's a sinner saved by grace? Amen. That's probably most people's follow-up question to follow-up question to my question. Is you gotta be pure. And they're gonna they're gonna say, Well, how do how can you be pure? Because if you're a human, you make mistakes. And if you make mistakes, you are no longer pure. Pure by definition means to be without error, without blemish. Right? And so usually people are gonna automatically operate out of a state of being defeated because in their minds there's no way for me to achieve that. There's no way for me to achieve living a lifestyle that is biblically and holistically and holistically pure. So what do you do? You may say, what do I do? How do I, how do I carry myself on properly to where I, this can be the most beneficial to me? That can be the most beneficial not only to me, but to, um, to my walk. So biblically, pure, biblically, we can talk about the fact that uh, purity is an absence of sin. And if you're like me, you struggle with it from time to time. We know, that in the, we know that in the mind of God, our, our sin is cast from the east, it's from the west, if you know him as Savior. But we still struggle sometimes. And we're going to talk about that. Let's talk about, first off, your prior condition before now. Turn over in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Turn over, to, turn over in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. If you go to the middle of your Bible and find the Proverbs and then start going to the right, you're going to run into a book called Isaiah. You have Pro, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah. And we're going over to the 64th chapter. We're going over to the 64th chapter of Isaiah. What was your condition like before Christ? Before now, we're talking about how to develop a mindset that is pure, right? To help us to, to think on the right things, to help us affect our actions and our, and our habits and our nature. What was your condition before? If you're in Isaiah chapter 64, look at verse 6. It says, but we all are as, un, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What's he saying there? He's saying, to compared to God, you are utterly gross. Pastor, that's offensive. But if you look at something that is completely without blemish, without error, anything that is even an iota of difference is utterly gross. What does God tell Adam? From dust, thou, from dust you came, to dust you'll return. You're nothing more but dust. And how many of y'all like dust in your house? Usually when you spot it, you grab you a little dust cloth or a dust mop or whatever you can. And if you usually see it, it usually does what? It usually grosses you out, doesn't it? You're like, oh, my gosh, especially on your fan blades. You ever see it on your fan blades on the top side? You're like, what on earth is all? <coughs> you know what I'm saying? It's awful. We know that our righteousness, our righteousness, and he's, listen to me, what? That word righteousness means to be morally and, is, and spiritually right. He says your righteousness at best is gross to God in comparison to him. And again, what that will do is it will cause people to feel like, well, then there's no hope for me then. 
that's what I am at, at best. At our best form, we don't even come remotely close to being clean. We don't, we don't come close to being pure. So what changed? Well, what changed was the blood of Christ. That when Christ died on the cross, it did more than just put a body on a tree. What we know that it did is that it tore the veil between us and God, which gave us unlimited access to a place where only the high priests were able to go. And even if they weren't in the right, they would be murdered. They would be killed on spot. The high priest, did you know the high priest would walk in there with a rope on them? A long rope that leads to the outside. What would happen if, if, the, if the high priest went in there incorrect, he would be struck down and they would have to pull his body back out from the rope because they couldn't even go in there. That's how holy the presence of God is. But not only did it tear the veil between us and God that allowed us access into the Holy of Holies, what it also did was coat us in what's called the righteousness of Christ. Don't you for a second think that you're able to go to heaven because you're eligible. You are as ineligible as ineligible can be. But Christ said, it's like this. I don't pay for Netflix. I don't pay for Hulu. Not right now, I don't. I know people that... <laughs> There's people that I know that's like, hey, I have an extra account, whether it's my, my mom made an account and added us to it, and then my in-laws made one account for the Hulu, but I don't pay for it. And so I'm able to enjoy all the benefits of Netflix and Hulu without having to pay for that monthly subscription. Praise God. On a much, 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 much larger scale, that's exactly how you get into heaven. You're enjoying all the benefits of all that it has on someone else's account on someone else's account. He says, you're not going to be able to walk through here because you're good enough. But when you do get here, I'm going to glorify you. And it'll be as if you were, but it's not on your merit. It's on the merit of Christ. So what does that mean? If you know Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, you have now this thing called deliverance. The Bible says there is no more condemnation for you. And so what that means is you now have the ability to work and to walk in a state of purity. Why? Because you now possess the God of purity. The Holy Spirit within you is what we talked about pneumatology a few weeks ago. And how the Holy Spirit is that sanctifying mechanism that helps you to be the most and more like Christ with every passing day that you seek to grow and become more like him. And so what that did now is that now created an element that now created an element of the ineffectiveness of filth. So you may say, Pastor, I still struggle with stuff all the time, and guess what? I do too. And I've got to go to the Lord and repent all the time because that's because we're human. But what we know now is that the sin now has no longer an eternal effectiveness on you. Now the filth has an ineffectiveness because of that. Turn over to Psalm chapter 103. Let me show you something. Before we talk about how to work on becoming more pure and what that even means and, and, and why it's important for you, I want you to understand that you have the ability to be that. You have the ability to work on living a, a holy and a set-apart life, to, to be holy as Christ is holy, to, to live a life that honors and glorifies him that is not tainted by a reoccurring sin. You have the ability to walk in it, to walk in the freedom. I just mentioned this before, but look at verse 12. Look at verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. The word transgression is the same word that we use for trespass. It means to work against someone. It means to operate in offense. It's like when you see someone that says no trespassing on their property, and you step on that property like we often do when we knock on doors, hey, it's for the kingdom. We do when we're, when, we're, when we're knocking doors and you see a sign that says no trespassing and you cross onto that property, you are now transgressing against the property owner. And God says, you transgressed against me and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to purify you anyway. And even though I'm the one that you have wronged, I'm going to grant you the ability because in my mind, your sin is cast so far I can't even see it and I'm God. We should, revel, we should revel in that and be encouraged by it. It is the blood of Christ that conceals us and helps us and makes us eligible for heaven. Flip all the way over to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's important for us to realize this, that what your prior condition was before is no longer, you're no longer, it's no longer eligible that, 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 that effectiveness of sin, of the filth, of that, of that righteousness that we have that's as filthy rags is no more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? Christ literally died on our cross to literally take our place. I want you to be encouraged because what sin is going to try and do in our lives or the weights that so easily beset us in our lives, what they're going to try and do is try and block you to make you seem utterly useless, hopeless, without growth, without productivity. It's going to say, well, you might as well hang it up. Because you can't, you're never going to be good enough. And you know what? It's right. You're never going to be good enough. But there is someone who is good enough that is good enough for you. He says that, the Bible says that Christ came down and became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become righteousness to God. When Christ looks on someone who, who knows his son and has received the blood of Christ, what he now does is he looks at you and sees his son. He doesn't see sin. He sees righteousness. He doesn't see imperfection. He sees purity. He sees wholeness. He sees, he sees righteousness. And so I want you to be encouraged because what's going to happen a lot of time, right? We said the battle in our walk usually starts where, church? Where does it start? Who knows? In our mind. It's going to start here. And if Satan can get in your mind and say, well, you might as well, you might as well quit. He just won. But if you know your word, and know that he said that, listen to me, I was the propitiation for your sin. I, I atoned for you. You now can walk in deliverance when you feel like there's no way for you to walk in deliverance. He says, no, no, no. You can walk in deliverance. Why? Because he has prepared the way for you to do that. 
He has, he has cleared the pathway for you to be able to walk the most holy and effective and victorious Christian life that you can. And so what it's going to take is for you to know the promises and know the word of God so that when Satan tries to rear his ugly head in your life and says, there's no way you can, you got to say, yes, I can, because God has made a way for me to do so. Because I'm not in a room this size, I'm not going to be naive to the fact that there are people in here who think that they can't have victory. They think that they can't grow. They think that they can't be free. They think that they can't overcome the, the trials of their life. They, they can't overcome the weights in their life, and, and they can't overcome the sin, and that's, that's not the truth. You guys remember that story about how they train circus elephants to be tamed? You know that, you know that story? What they usually do is they get the little baby elephant, Right? And what they do is they will get a very thick and strong chain and, and tie it to the leg of that, of that elephant. And they'll tent peg that thing into the ground really, really deep so that even the baby elephant, as strong as the baby elephant is, can't break free. And every time that baby elephant will try to walk, it'll, uh, it'll get stuck. It'll, uh, it'll get stuck. It's not going to be able to go anywhere, right? But what happens is when they get older, you, when they get older and they become adult elephants, They'll tie a rope to that to that elephant's leg, and they will just drop it over the tent peg. Just drop it over there. Enough for there to be like a slight tug, but there's no real, I mean, as strong as an elephant is. But what happened? That elephant has now been conditioned that I am tied to that peg, and I can't go anywhere. So as soon as that adult, full-size elephant feels a tug of that rope, he automatically retreats. Because in his mind, there's no way for me to move forward. Do you see where I'm going, church? We have to understand how it works with scripture. And he says, listen to me, there is no more shackles for you. There are no more chains for you. Whatever your mind is trying to tell you, whatever your flesh is trying to wear, rear up, whatever the devil is trying to put in your mind, you have to go ahead and eradicate that because it's not true. It's a lie. And he's the father of lies. And he was a murderer from the beginning. You can't trust him. That's why it's so imperative for you to spend time in your word to know what the word says. You may say, I've messed up and I've got a past and I've done all these different things. There is no way that I can be pure. And Christ says, says who? Says who? Who says you can't dwell on what's true? Who says you can't dwell on what's honest? Who says you can't dwell on what's just? Who says you can't be these things? Because I, it's not me. I have prepared a way from you. I walked into your prison set you free and got in your prison for you so that you can be free. So why are you putting on your own chains? Why are you a, you're a slave to yourself. The truth of the matter is, we're so conditioned to thinking that we have to partake in these weights and partake in this sin and partake in this mindset that we've enslaved ourselves. And he says, I have no idea why you're doing that because I have made it so that you can be free. You can do the, the, effect, the, the, the effectiveness that was once there through your filth is no more. We've been talking about how, to, how the mind might be the biggest battleground because it's an internal battle. It's an internal battle. And if purity is the absence of sin, it is important to see how striving for a mind that is pure is nothing less than beneficial to you. It's nothing less than beneficial to you. Purity of mind. 
it's important when, we, when we're trying to be in a mental space that is conducive to a victorious Christian life. And so purity will affect what kind of actions you make, what kind of habits you start to develop, and what kind of nature we talked about before, what kind of nature you will develop. A purity of mind will affect your motives. It will affect your intentions. Because usually when you think about impure, when usually when you think about impurity, what do people usually think about? Something sexual, probably, right? You're sexually impure, you're promiscuous, blah, 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 blah. But being impure is not just related to fornication and idolatry. You know that, right? Impure thoughts are anything that is skewed to what God has said to you. You understand? We talk, we talk about the word love in the Bible, right? Or, or the Greek words for love. We have phileo, which is the brotherly love. We have storge, which is that, that family love that usually is shared between siblings or an aunt to a nephew or whatever, right? Then we have agape, which is the kind of love that God shows toward us. But then we have eros. We have eros, which is that perverted, that's that love that's an error, right? And so what we have to make sure we understand is that anything that is perverted from what God has said to you, that constitutes as an impure thought. So let me give you some examples. Just a couple of examples, right? We're talking about a, a, a pure mind and, and developing that pure mind. Impure thoughts will say that that person hurt me. I'm going to get them back. That's impure. Pastor, why is it impure? That person hurt me. Don't they deserve to get for me to get them back? Yes, they do. But what does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, saith I repay. And so if you take vindictive spirit and put it into actions, you are now dwelling on what's impure. Because God says a pure person, someone who's walking and dwelling in purity, will say, I'm going to let it go because God's going to get his victory. God's going to take care of this for me. They meant that for evil, but God meant that for good. No weapon formed against me will prosper. God's going to take care of it, and he does. Remember a couple weeks ago I shared with you guys about the puppy? How we got scammed out of the puppy? And then we ended up getting something way better. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joke's on you. We got something better than that. More, more, way more than you got from us. You understand? Like we got to understand that God takes care of it. And so for you to be dwelling in a space that says, well, they hurt me. I'm going to hurt them back. No, 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 no. God's going to take care of that. That's the pure thought. What about this? Impure thoughts say that, wow, that person is attractive. Is, that, is it wrong to think someone's attractive? No. No, it's not. That's not the impure part. The impure part is the part that says, that impure part is when, is what follows it. Is when you begin to undress that person with your eyes. Is when you start to think things about that person. And last time I checked, if that person is not your wife, that's fornication. And the last time I checked, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what is that saying? I didn't do anything, but the Bible says, you're an adulterer in your heart. You might as well, it's the same thing. We got to be careful about that. Those are impure thoughts. A pure thought will say, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? That's what Job told us. The Bible also says flee youthful lust. It also says flee fornication. These are a couple, those are just a couple of examples. But how do you work on developing a pure mindset? Like we're talking about different things. What does the Bible also say? What about anger? 
What about anger? What if you get angry? The Bible says what? Be ye angry in what, church? And sin not. It also says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Anger and wrath are not the same thing. Anger can be righteous. We saw last week when Jesus Christ went into the temple and started flipping stuff up. Started getting scourges and starting to throw them. Boy, if you don't get them nasty animals out of my father's house. Right? We saw him doing that. It's not wrong to be angry. But when, but when your anger turns to wrath and wrath is usually, wrath is usually the culmination of the anger presented in an action that is not Christ-like. So if, so if someone makes you, and what's the definition of anger? Anger, by definition, is when somebody or something obstructs a goal that you are trying to achieve, right? And so if someone makes you, someone makes you angry, you want to pick up your chancla and throw it at them, right? Someone makes you, someone makes you, someone makes you angry, then you want something that, that kind of makes them feel the way that you feel, that is wrath. When you are now turning what made you upset into an action that is going to cause physical, mental, uh, mental emotional, or, phys- or spiritual harm onto someone else, that's impure. But what do we know? What, what would be the pure counterpart to that? Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know what I've learned? A lot of times, things are, are just a miscommunication or a misunderstanding. And normally, when you're both yelling over each other, you can't even hear each other's point. He says, why don't you just listen first? And make sure you have a clear, concise understanding for why you're upset before you act on being upset. And usually, in that time, you can calm down, and you can think about a rational solution to, to appease the anger that you're now dealing with. And it's wise for you to, to think that way. So, so how do you develop? How do you develop this pure thought? We talked about that, right? To dwell on these, on the right stuff. If you will flip over, we're already in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. Flip over to chapter 10. Flip over to chapter 10. I'm going to give you five really quick things about developing a pure mindset. Now that we've defined it, now that we've been able to understand what it is and how it affects us, Right? Impure thoughts are, by definition, anything contrary to what God has told us. And so how do we work on walking in that pure mindset, walking in that state of, pure, that state of purity that will bring honor and glorification to God? If you're in 2 Corinthians 10, say amen. All right, cool. Look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So how do you develop a pure mindset? Pastor, I want to know. Anybody want to know? If you don't want to know, we can just go home. Anybody want to know? All right, cool. All right. So then if you're a note-taking person, number one, how do you, right? Because impure thoughts are just a perversion of what God has said, right? So how do you develop a pure mindset? Number one, you have to understand that the battle is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. The battle that you're facing is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. For instance, if you are someone who battles with Let's just use this one as the most 
probably applicable or understandable. If you are someone who battles with pornography, removing it from your phone and from your computer and out of your house and all of that stuff is only going to be a temporary fix. You understand that, right? Because it's going to, it'll be able to find its way in in another way. It's going to be able to find its way in in another way, right? We get the word pornography from the Greek word porneia, right? Which is, a, again, a perversion of lust, a form of lust, right? Maybe even going into the word lasciviousness, which is an uncontrolled lust, a very wild type, right? So you may say, okay, I'm trying to beat that, but I'm going to, I got it off my computer. I got filters on my phone. I got filters on my computer. You know what I'm saying? Everyone has passwords to all my stuff. That is not going to fix it. That's the physical aspect. What's the spiritual one? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and, and lead me in the way everlasting. The spiritual part of that is going to be, okay, God, I have some impurities in my heart. There is gunk built up in there like you haven't changed your oil in a while and it's sludgy. He says, you're going to have to use like that stuff that they have for your, for your oil filter and pour that down there so that it can clean out all of the sludge so that then you can now put new oil in there. It's going to take you to not just do the physical stuff, but if you realize that the battle that you're facing, whether it's with lust or with anger or with bitterness or whatever it may be, whatever the perversion it is that you're dealing with that is contrary to what God has said in his word, the only way that you have to make sure that you can combat that properly is to understand that it's not the physical battle, it's the spiritual part. It's the spiritual part. Athara hurt me, so I'm mad at her. And I'm going to dwell and I'm going to be bitter. Being mad at Athara is only the physical part of it. The spiritual part is that I've allowed this negative, this negative spirit to manifest itself in my heart versus giving it over to the Lord. And that's why I'm feeling this way. So I've got to go ahead and... Yes, deal with the physical side, but the true victory won't happen until I learn to let go and let God. That's the spiritual aspect of it. You've got to be able to get to a place where you can say, okay, there's a physical representation of what I'm feeling, but the physical representation is not going to be the fix. It's going to be the spiritual representation. You've got to understand that the battle is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Somebody getting on your nerves? What do we usually say? Lord, somebody pray for me because I'm about to smack somebody in Jesus' name. Right? They're about to catch these holy hands. Right? That's only the physical part of the spirit. We may say, you know what? The, build, the real thing that's happening is that the devil's on my case for some reason today. And so I'm going to step back and spend some time in prayer or spend some time in the word call a friend real quick and do something to kind of efface that because me being that happening, that, that person is only being used in a, in a way to kind of either test me or try me. But either way, what do we, what do we find out? The devil meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There are, the battle is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. God is the only way for us to overcome. It's going to be the spiritual aspect that delivers you in victory. Realizing it's going to take purification of the mind and an honest search of the heart to find victory. And getting rid of the quick fix is only going to be a quick fix. You have to walk in purity of heart and mind. 
And that's how you find the permanent sin. It's cleaning out what's in here and cleaning out what's in here. So number one, understand the battle is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Number two, understand that the power to overcome impurity will come through God and not of your own power. The ability to overcome impurity will come through God and not of your own power. Look at the verse. The weapons of our warfare, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen to me. If you're someone in here that you're doing, and not everything, listen to me. Not everything that's impure is going to, is going to manifest itself in sin. What does Hebrew say? Laying down the, the weight that so easily besets us. So sometimes it's not a sin, but it's something that's going to slow you down. He says the only way for you to overcome those strongholds, right, something that, is, something that in some way or state is strong enough to be weighing you down, right, for you to be dwelling in impurity, something that is weighing you down, the only way for you to get, to get over that is through the pulling down of that stronghold. What does that mean? You're not going to be able to, they could have gotten to Jericho in the Old Testament. They could have hopped the wall, probably scaled it probably try to dig a tunnel underneath it. But what they have to do, church, in order for them to get the victory at Jericho, the wall had to come down. You know what we do as Christians when we're, doing, when we're dealing with this stuff? We try to find the cracks in the walls so we can slip through. We try to find if there's anything that we can grab on so that we can just scale it and hop over. He says, no, 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 no. If you want to overcome the impurity, you're going to have to break those walls down. And the only way for those walls to come down is through God. He says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. It's going to take whatever that impurity is to be cast down to the ground. It needs to come down, and God is the only one who can do it. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, God is the only one that can do it. God is the only one that can grant forgiveness in your heart. God is the only one that can help you to bestow grace on the people who've hurt you who don't deserve grace. God is the only one who's going to be able to take that green bitterness out of your heart. God's the only one that's going to have to help you to get that lust under control. God's the only one that's going to be able to help you to not be a wrathful individual. It's going to take God because in your own power, you will fail every single time. That's the truth. You may get temporary victory, but complete and holistic victory won't come unless you cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Because his burden is easy. Because his yoke is light. You have to understand that he's the only one who can completely efface the impure thoughts that may plague our mind. Again, whether it be lust or immorality, whether it be thoughts of hurting yourself or thoughts of hurting others, whether it be lashing out in anger because you've been hurt, whether it's doubts of your salvation, whether it's the little lies that Satan tries to drop in your mind to waver your faith, those are all impurities. Those are all impurities. And the only way for you to develop that pure mind state is to let God take care of it. Let him be the one. Let him be the one that's pulling down those strongholds. Number three. We said number one. You have to understand that the battle is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Number two, understand that the power of that the power to overcome impurity will come through God, not through your own power. Number three, 
you're going to have to nip evil thoughts in the bud. Nip evil thoughts in the bud. We said what? That the, that the thoughts are the beginning, right? So way before it even becomes an action, what do you do? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. You're going to have to nip those evil thoughts in the bud. You're going to have to learn to stop those thoughts in its tracks. Stop them in its tracks. Check this out. It's not wrong. Let me choose this wisely. It's not necessarily wrong when a thought pops in your head. It'll become wrong when you start dwelling on it. Someone said this. The first thought is the devil or the flesh. The second one is you. The second one is you. And so if, 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 some, if, someone, if someone has hurt you, that first thought, that says, man, I should hurt him back. Whoa, 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 that's not, that's not holy. I can't, I can't do that. It's not right. But flip it. Ooh, someone hurt you. You should hurt him back. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll slash his, I'll slash his tires. Oh, oh. I still got I still got access to his credit card information. I'm a I'm a buy a new car with it. I'm a steal his man. Right? You know the context. Don't do me like that. The first thought that says, wow, I'm gonna go ahead and 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 I should do this. Is, is, is the first thought that doesn't belong to you. That second one that you start dwelling on, that's you. The first thought when you look at someone, someone's called it uh, the method. You see someone that's attractive and you're like, whoa, and then you just kind of bounce away. You know what I'm saying? But then you start looking and dwelling. When you start to allow those things in your mind to progress, that's you. And that's why you got to nip it in the bud. You got you to you 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 clip it before it has a chance to grow. So whatever those, I know we just, we use those two illustrations, but there's a lot more. Remember, anything that is contrary to what God has said is impure. So if God says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and you thought, well, God left me because God doesn't love me, that is now not only a false statement but an impure one because that's contrary to what God has promised us in his word, that I will never leave you or forsake you. So we have to make sure that we work to, to nip those thoughts right at the beginning, casting down imaginations and every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Number four. Number four, you got to bring those thoughts into captivity. You got to bring those thoughts into captivity. This, this, this part, this, this part of it is speaking to those of you, those, excuse me, those of us, who have allowed things to not only become thoughts and actions and habits, but now they're parts of your nature. 
this is to you in the room that have been sitting here dwelling on stuff that you know uh, uh, you're struggling with as a Christian. And it's become a part of who you are. It's become a daily thing for you to dwell on how angry you are at that person. It's become a daily thing for you to dwell on lust. It's become a daily thing for you to dwell on your bitterness. It's become a daily thing for you to dwell on your unforgiveness. That is now a part of your nature to where every day, like clockwork, 2 p.m., time to be angry. When it's become a part of your nature, this is for you. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. So what does that mean? You that's struggling with whatever it is, right? Any of those impurities, whether it's doubting your salvation, whether it's uh, you're, you're lacking your faith because you believe that God has abandoned you or you think that God's not going to come through and his promises for you, whether it's lust or whatever all that other stuff was, you know. If, I'm, if it, by now you already are thinking about what that is for you. So I don't have to keep going over that part. But if you're dwelling with any of that stuff, what's going to happen is you're now going to have to dig deep now because it's not just surface level. It's almost, like, it's almost like a disease. It's almost like a disease. It starts off as a spot, and then, and then it begins to take over that whole organ or that bone or that limb, and then after that it begins to spread. The, for, the further it spreads, the harder it is to come back. So some of y'all right now are dwelling with stuff that you battle every single day that you know are impurity, impure thoughts. And now you're at a place that you're now trying to fight it, but you're so shoulder deep. You're going to have to now say, how do I beat this now? How do I overcome this lust or this, this unbridled anger or this, or this bitterness or this unforgiveness? How do I now tackle how do I now tackle the thoughts that God's not good? How do I overcome all of that? Now it's become a part of my nature. What do I do? You're now going to have to now bring those thoughts into captivity. And that's the hard part. We can call it the stage four. You need some serious chemo for this one. Because now you're going to have to work contrary to everything you've allowed yourself to believe for however long, for however long, you're going to have to get to that place where now you're going to say, okay, this thought is popping into my mind, and usually it's going to now be before where it's just a thought that just popped up, and you just thought this thought, and you're like, whoa, that's not of God. Let me stop. Whoa. Now, when it's part of your nature, you're going to have to wrestle with it. Well, God doesn't love you. Well, that's not true. I know the, I know the word of God says that he does. Well, you know, he's done... You see how there's that internal battle now? You're going to have to fight it and wrestle it and, and tear it down now, and that's the hard part. You're going to have to take those thoughts that, that are no longer just thoughts, but they're an everyday part of who you are, and now wrestle with that thing and bring it down into submission. That's probably going to be the hardest part for you. It's beating it back down, because how do you work in reverse? You, you beat it out of your nature, to where it's not happening every day, but now it's still happening sometimes, right? And then you beat it down to where it's happening sometimes, you keep fighting it, and now what happens every once in a while? And then you keep on doing that to where the thought pops into your head, and you can just go, bloop, and it's gone. You're going to have to beat that thing back down in submission. Because the truth about impure thoughts is that they are ravening like a disease, and they will overcome you as fast as they can. And before you know it, you're drowning in it. God says, I've equipped you to be pure. 
I've equipped you for deliverance. I've equipped you to be the best that you, to be the best that you can be. Bringing every captivity, every bringing it into captivity, every thought, into the obedience of Christ. Number five, that's that last part. Walking in obedience. Walking in obedience. Why do we have to work on being pure? Brother Xavier, why can't I be angry? Why can't I be bitter? Why can't I be unforgiving? Why can't I, why can't I just dwell on whatever kind of lust I want to do? dwell on? Why can't I just be angry? Because it's not obeying God. And we know that disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. Pastor, that's a, it's, it's hard. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was going to happen today. He says you got to be working on it. You need to be, in, and listen to me, you're, we'll never be perfect, not on this side of eternity. But can I remind you that there is hope for you in it? Because God says, I don't want you to be the perfect Christian. I want you to be a broken Christian. What does that mean? Is that you do your best to be like me as best as you can with every passing day. And what do we say that requires? That requires you to just take it one day at a time. If you got these impurities that are in your mind, don't worry about making it a week without thinking these thoughts. That's not going to bring you victory. Make it through the day. Make it through today. I'm going to cast it down today. God, give me victory over this anger today. I'll give you a little bit of a transparent moment, and then I'll be done. I was a very bitter kid growing up. And that was largely because of a lot of different things. Um, Some of them mainly um, not having a father was a big one for me. All of my close friends that that I had all had their, both of their parents. And I saw their dads take them to play baseball and teach them how to draw, how to drive and fish and all that other stuff. And I had to learn all that stuff. I had to learn about girls all on my own. I had to learn about all these different things by myself. And I remember that made me bitter. That my mom had to pull double duty. And oftentimes that meant she could provide for me monetarily but couldn't provide for me emotionally. And that made me a bitter kid. I got in trouble in school, and I got in trouble with the law, and I got in trouble with all this different stuff because I was always just an angry kid. I used to fight a lot because I was an angry kid. And for a long time, I was a small kid. Really, I mean, still small, but I can hold my own a lot better now. But being 4'7", 4'8", and being angry is not going to work to your advantage. It's going to get you beat up. I remember being angry. I remember not caring. Just being angry all the time and snapping fast. And every time someone said even something that made me a little bit uncomfortable, I just remember just being welled up with this anger. A very bitter, a very angry kid. And I remember just growing and learning more about the Lord and dwelling amongst godly people. And I remember over time, Remember the day that it hit me, I was like, you know what, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I'm all right. And I'm not sure, honestly, how long that ended up taking me. But I know I eventually got there. And I eventually had the peace. And I eventually got to a place where I can say, well, God, you're a good, good father. And if my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. And so once I start to cling to those promises, see, you see the difference there? The impure thoughts will say, I'm going to be angry because my dad was a bum, right? 
and I'm just going to be angry, and I'm going to use that as an opportunity to do badly in school and get in trouble with the law and mistreat my mother and all this other stuff. And God says, that's the impure thought. The pure thought says, when your mother and your father forsake you, I'm still here. Rest in me. That was the game changer. And so all of that stuff today just now to say this last thing. The best way to battle impure thoughts are to know what the pure ones are and walk in that. Walk in that. So again, if you need any help, counsel, any of that stuff, you need a battle plan to overcome this, we're going we're gonna to be still talking about, we still have about three more of these different things in the Constructing Your Thoughts series, but if, you, if you're someone in here that's dwelling with those mental impurities, which if you look at what we've covered so far, mental impurity is going to cover what's true and what's honest and what's just. And if you can't dwell on the pure things, which are the, the things that are not perverted by God, you're going to dwell on what's untrue, what's dishonest, and what's wrong. So if you can work to purify your mind state, everything else, will be covered. But it's going to take time. I hope you'll start today. You bow your head and close your eyes.